0: to Psych Up Live with your host Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips.
1: Hi folks. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. Today we have a very special show. It is entitled From Neurons to Nations, regulating for the benefit of all beings. Our guest, Boaz Feldman, joins us today from Geneva, Switzerland, and much as the title suggests, he is eager to share his journey, his integration of theory, and his application of knowledge across borders. And because PsychUp Live airs both nationally and internationally, today Boaz Feldman will once again be sharing with listeners worldwide. Boaz Feldman is a clinical psychologist a contemplative, a trauma trainer acting for worldwide positive change. He has worked with numerous international organizations as the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, World Health Organization, Doctors Without Borders, in a variety of humanitarian contexts, such as conflict-affected areas like Afghanistan, low-income contexts like Eastern Europe, and natural emergencies as he intervened in Thailand. Trained in mindfulness for over 15 years, Boaz first ordained as a Buddhist monk in Thailand, then studied mindfulness-based stress reduction and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy at the University of Bangor. He co founded Neurosystemics, an integrative skills building and healing method for bioeffective regulation, healthy relational attachment, and embodied community processes. We'll be talking about all of those. When he's not on silent meditation retreats, Boaz teaches, and it's a USABP, that means United States Association for Body, certified care program that's Compassion, Awareness, Resilience, and Empowerment, and that's an online training for both personal and professional development. Boaz Feldman, it is my great privilege to welcome you to PsychUp Live.
2: Thank you, Suzanne. I'm delighted to have this conversation with you and to explore together what's like emerge in the moment.
1: Okay. Um, So I'm sure our listeners are wondering, you were first ordained as a Buddhist monk in Thailand. What in your personal story brought you to a contemplative life?
2: Well, you know, as a child, um, I was one of those students, and maybe some of your listeners might identify with the type of personality I was. I was kind of a dreamer. I would sit in class, and um, as the class was going on, my my eyes would be rolling or watching around, and um, I I actually had quite a difficult time fitting in, even though my grades were okay. I never felt a strong sense of belonging, and after my first university bachelor's in business administration, um, I actually fell into a big, big depression. Um, I started to feel a sense of hopelessness, desperation, just not having a feeling like I have a place in society, not feeling like I'm um, even really worthy of living to some extent. Um, and so I fell into a big depression. And, um, you know, one of the things that they offered at the university was an exchange program in Erasmus. And so I, I, was, uh, I went all the way to Thailand.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I ordained as a Buddhist monk. That was my mission. I figured, you know, if I sit under a tree for six months in silence and meditate, I'm going to sort my depression out and I'll find the keys to happiness and all will be well. Now, of course, that's (laughs) that's not what happened. Um, But uh, it, it did open up a door, you know, to start actually connecting to my... Anxiety, and to my sadness or boredom or just a sense of disembeddedness in society in a way that I could start to work with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so, for example, in, in, in the Buddhist practice, we talk about training the heart. And so I started to learn practices like compassion, gratitude, and mindfulness. And all of these really enabled me to build what we call today in the clinical literature, uh, attention regulation skills. Mm-hmm. So I was able to connect to my body, connect to actually my sense of sadness when it emerged in a way that felt a little bit more skillful. So rather than going around and ruminate how terrible I felt and how terrible my place was and just going down that rabbit hole, which maybe we all know, actually, I, I, I could start to catch myself and, 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 and spin down a bit less and actually maybe even start to develop uh, more positive qualities like a joy and appreciation, a sense of kindness with myself. Um, and so being a Buddhist monk was really a transformative experience um, in the sense that it offered a doorway to start working with myself and connecting with my experience in a way that increased my capacity for well-being.
1: It's wonderful. Um,
2: and that was the beginning of my contemplative path. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I stayed in Asia for a number of years. I, I learned Thai, Um, And uh, although I'm not a monk anymore, I certainly feel very closely connected to the the Buddhist tradition.
1: It it certainly made a difference in your life. And at this very moment, you still have a great commitment to it. You do a three-year retreat with eight to nine months of silence, and your wife also follows this practice.
2: That's right. That's right. You could say I'm an addict. You know, it's like I, I, I've become an addict to silence and to meditation and to these states of absorption and, and, um, and concentration. Um, I mean, you know, I think about actually what is the power of meditation or what, what is the impact, or what is the consequence? Yes. And once you start, once I, I started to, to, to practice these, these um These traditions for a number of years, I started to realize actually the mind is like a bundle of habits. And so depending on what, how you relate to your experience, let's say you have a a difficult thought. Well, you can either make that, let that thought be and let, let it rule your life and feel depressed, or you can start connecting with it in a way that actually perhaps feels more, um, more neutral or even let it go if you're able at times and connect and direct your orti- orientation somewhere else. And that really allows actually to change deep rooted patterns in how mm. I live my life, how I live my relationships and the choices I make. And so in a way, when I'm doing these long retreats, like you're right, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of a, a three year retreat right now. Um, and uh, what I'm doing is I'm, 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 I'm training my mind to, to transform these deeply rooted patterns of, um, self-criticism, of anxiety, of even healing trauma, you know, which um, I've experienced mm. and to some extent I'd say we've all experienced in yes. one way or another. Yes. In order to then be able to be engaged in the world and make the choices that support greater well-being and clarity and go towards a sense of wisdom rather than falling into habits that actually are not helpful for me, they're not helpful for my close ones, and they're probably not helpful for society as a whole. Um, You're so, almost, you know, seen. I. I,
1: I, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, keep going,
2: keep going. No, I, I think, you know, the, 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 for me, there's a real connection. I, I really, you worked on that title, you know, from neurons to nations. And uh, it, it feels very important to me as well, in terms of all of this meditation practice that I'm doing, that actually I'm not just doing it for myself. Um, I feel like the way in which I transform my heart and build these positive qualities. Um, really is actually changes the way in which I act in the world. And then I can um, engage in issues like, you know, really difficult, challenging issues like climate change or economic inequality or um, discrimination around gender or different minority groups. And, and, and perhaps do it from a place of expansiveness, do it from a place of compassion, rather than doing it from a place of aversion or anger, which is where my activist. Um, spite was coming from earlier. So it's really, it's it's, it's in the process of transforming myself and also transforming the world from neurons to nations.
1: I don't think that that's what people ordinarily think. So it's so powerful that you're saying the contemplative practice actually makes you more um, available to the rest of the world that is going into yourself actually allowed you to regulate in a way that makes you more powerful in your outside interactions?
2: Well, I think that's a great, you know, in a way it's, it's, it's also a good question that occurs in the research. It's like actually does meditate lead to more pro-social behavior? So mm-hmm. if you meditate more, are you, are you, do you feel more closely connected to other people? And the literature actually has um, a whole series of experiments that go in either direction. Um, so I, I have a strong, I make a you know a strong frame in in, in our in my own meditation practice and in neurosystemics as a, a training methodology, to actually include and make connections and 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 sense into the the interdependence between inner and outer experience, mm. and so the conceptual framework then informs the uh, the the way in which our practice unfolds, which is why you know Einstein used to say. Um, the theory determines the results of any experiment. And so if you have a view that, you know, what you do for yourself then has no, no, no impact on society, well, things will tend to go in that direction. And in fact, a lot of science does show that the more you meditate, the more sort of self-enclosed you become. And it, there isn't necessarily more pro-social behavior and, and attitudes of generosity. But there's also studies that show the other um, the other direction, which is where the more you meditate, the more actually as you say, you don't I don't need to spend so much time reducing my own stress and, and dealing with my anxiety. I actually am more available. I can be more receptive and feel more generous with my actions. Um, and so well, from a spiritual perspective, that you know that, that really fits the bill for me.
1: Well, when you look at what you do, Boaz, I mean side by side with your commitment to a contemplative practice, you're a therapist, you're a group leader, you're a trainer, and you do a tremendous amount of outreach, humanitarian outreach. So, the, the question I have is Do you actually feel that it's two sided? One is that does it inform you in a way that you feel better as a therapist, a group leader, or a person doing outreach? And do you pass these skills to those you're working with on a regular basis?
2: So, in one word, yes.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: In one word, I would say yes. Um, you know that for me, there is a strong trend in how much I'm able to free myself from my own challenging energies, or pathological patterns, or disruptive beliefs, or somatic dysregulation, and the extent to which I can then be available, contribute, and really embody a quality of powerful presence for the people I work with individually in groups and communities and even at the level of nations. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a correlation there. And, um, you know, I think right now we're also overall in, in a moment in uh, uh, John Ferveke at the University of Toronto, a uh, um, cognitive uh, psychologist there, he, he talked about the meta crisis whereby, you know, there's a crisis of the ecology, there's a crisis of our economic system in terms of the growing inequality. There's also a crisis of meaning, you know, where for more and more of us actually falling into the individualist, materialist, um, uh, personality cult, if you just use strong terms, right? I'm, I'm, I'm making a frame of it. I don't necessarily think all of these are, are totally appropriate. But um, in a way, all of that... Um, stems from the fact that we, we perhaps don't have a large enough frame to connect how our inner experience our individual experience is connected to society so you know as a society because we focus on well-being for example you know, and in america I'm, I'm in switzerland so in, in europe we, we tend to have perhaps a little bit less of an emphasis on this but it's still present the fact that we focus so much on our own well-being and the fact that we we you know we have a hedonistic culture of needing to feel happy and, and satisfied at each moment, and, and sometimes we'll do that, or oftentimes in, at the society at the level of society we'll do that often, at the expense of the environment, for example, or at the expense of other mm-hmm. groups. Mm-hmm. Then um, you know, that will trend a certain quality of life that focuses how, how, how good we feel on ourselves and actually inhibits a wider expansiveness of how good we can feel because well, you, you know there's a lot you,
1: Go ahead. Well, it, you, you sort of term this eventually as self-development through selfless service so the antidote in some way is to reach out and give
2: yes exactly so which is what you do by be, by being connected in community we're able to then Um, expand our sense of self. And and there's even neurobiological evidence that shows when we are with a close-knit group of people, you know, when you're with good friends, actually your sense of self expands. And when your sense of self expands, like your, your friends become yourself in a way, you could say. And when that happens, actually that expansive awareness, the fact that you are able to feel safe in that group is a really deep level of happiness. And it's perhaps, deeper and more sustainable than you know, reducing the stress through paying attention to our breath. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, regulation, when you talk about regulation, yes, I, I, wanna, I absolutely want to train people to build skills on how to d- direct their attention so that they can um, reduce how, how anxious they feel. And if we talk about regulation in a more sustainable and a deeper way, we're really talking about being in relationships where we can feel trusting we can show, show up in the fullness of ourselves. And that then leads to even connecting to a wider circle, from ourselves to our social circle, to our society. So connecting to our society in a selfless way is also then a way to increase and aggrandize and expand our sense of self even further, so that we can then connect to others, and that sense of self neurobiologically is so others are felt as ourselves. And there's so actually, you know, there's emerging evidence for this, which is very exciting because it connects, you know, the very the, the, some of the Christian um, apostles of, you know, treating your neighbor as yourself, mm-hmm. um, what, whereby what you're, saying, what you're saying, to really helps.
1: Yeah, what what you're saying is so exciting, but it, and it's really you're saying it's bi-directional in terms of helping, the 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 person with you receives, you receive. It's it's what we both believe in group. Um, We're almost out of time, but I I want uh, to ask you on the other side of this break, because you do a lot of outreach, um, in terms of the way, and we're going to talk about skills for regulation with our listeners, but I'm going to be asking Boaz, what is one skill or one intervention that he used in the many cases he's done in intervention worldwide that people have really embraced and they have felt has really been important. So stay with us. We're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Boaz Feldman. He's calling in from Geneva, Switzerland today. He's a clinical psychologist. He's a contemplative. He's a trauma trainer, and he's going to be sharing more of his work Across borders, as well as skills that you can take home in terms of bioeffective regulation, healthy relational detachment, and even involvement in groups. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. channel
3: a brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others if you have that courage then brave hearts radio with brian reinvold is for you even if you aren't yet you'll want to still tune in to get inspired create your own story to share and change your life for the better listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too Listen for Bravehearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa,
2: play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
1: clinical psychologist, calling him from Geneva, Switzerland. He's done so much humanitarian work that I just asked him if he would share with us. You know, he's been, he's responded after conflict in Afghanistan and after natural disaster in Thailand. Boaz, if you were curious, what is it that you offer, that your team offers, that you feel people really resonate with, that really seems to help their soul as well as their body?
2: So there's one key principle, and that's a principle that um, is actually helps to have more regulated nervous systems, more regulated relationships, and also more regulated way of engaging in the world, which is in two words. It's learning to broaden our attention. Because you see, what happens when we feel anxiety or depression or even trauma is that what te- cognitively, our attention narrows. We become more closed in. And we all know this feeling. You know, we have a difficult thought and suddenly it's like we start looping around because we're zooming in and just making, just amplifying that, that, that narrowness. Mm. And so one of the key things that we can learn to do is to broaden actually what, how much we see or how much we feel or how much is in our attention. So I'm happy to share experientially even just a, an example in this moment that we can do sure. together. Sure. you like okay. that? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So for all of us listening, noticing maybe just what's, if our eyes are open, noticing what we're seeing in this moment. Just maybe what's in front of us or maybe our eyes are roaming around we're seeing different things. And noticing if we can just broaden a little bit what we see. So if we're watching something, noticing if we can include what's in the background or around. Allowing the attention just to broaden, to include more of what we see, more of what we feel. So if we feel maybe just our hand or a part of the body, noticing the whole body. Noticing what we see, like a tree or a computer, noticing what's in the background. And just very gently for five more seconds, noticing how it feels as we just train ourselves to broaden, to include more, to include more space in this moment. Very nice. So that's training. And uh, that's a skill that we develop, and that helps actually to regulate our nervous system. Because, as I said, mm-hmm. when we get into these threat spaces of fight, flight, and freeze, um, which in our care training, for example, we learn to identify in, in quite specific ways, then um, we're we're able to counteract that trend of narrowing, which is becoming more and more narrow, and more and more closed, more and more in a way asphyxiating, in a way, to something that feels more open more Mm. broad, expand, And so that's a a very specific training that anybody can do anytime. And, you know, the fun thing about this, Suzanne, is that you can be doing it with your eyes open in a meeting and nobody will notice that you're doing it. (laughs) You can just be there regulating your body, regulating your breath, and nobody knows that you're there actually training your mind in a very gentle, very easeful way to include more and more things and actually enable that, um, that expansiveness to take place. Yes. Yeah. feel better in well, the moment.
1: As soon as you... Were, I'm looking at a wall of pictures of my children uh, when they were young. And so as, lo- as soon as I look at the pictures, I remember some of these situations. They're all running in races. And then I have the feeling mm. I had when I saw them run. So I can picture that if you are very heartbroken and or ruminating about something really horrific that happened... The ability to do this little exercise eases you out of that trapped feeling, as you're saying, and allows you to use exactly. your senses, to use the world to help you almost, and your own senses to help you. That's exactly it. That's
2: exactly it, Suzanne. I'm really excited that you picked this out because, in fact, it's, it's by realizing the fact that we belong and we are inter- interdependently connected to what's happening in our environment That we can then sometimes step out of our bodies or a sense of self and like paying attention to something outside of ourselves that frees us from some of these, you know, these very difficult ruminatory or cyclical pathological patterns of anxiety and depression and desperation. That's exactly Mm -hmm. it. And, And that principle actually, you can take it all the way from neurons to societies, like actually broadening our society. You know, the whole movement around inclusivity and and, um, uh, diversity is also a way of actually broadening what we consider as normal. So we can support one another then in accepting our neighbors. That's a way in which we can then also be more socially embedded. Um, And there might be things that we don't accept or that we don't feel are acceptable based on our ethics or our morality. Um, So it's a complex question, but the principle is the same.
1: So that's an example where um, that's bioeffective regulation. Would you put that in the category that you have kind of um, offered in terms of neurosystemics?
2: Yes, exactly, okay. Suzanne. Okay. So w- when we talk about bioeffective, we're talking about the relationship between what happens in the body, so our biology, and I was trained as a, as a clinician, specifically with an expertise on somatics and nervous system regulation. So that's, that's one part. And then we train, actually, how we feel in the body in relationship to our feelings. And so our, our, our physiological state is related to our affective state. And so that's why we mean bioaffective. Those are actually very closely connected. You know, when you're, mm-hmm. when you're totally in love, you, know, you, you just enthralled or you, you, you got really great news, you know, like you, you passed an exam or maybe, you know, you got the promotion or maybe you want something, there's an exhilaration and, and that exhilaration is going to influence how you feel in your body and vice versa. Yes. Sometimes, yep. you know, if you feel very tired at the end of a day or you're just exhausted because it's, you know, it's Thursday afternoon and you've had a long week already, then actually that is going to influence how you feel. Maybe you feel a bit more depressed or maybe you feel, have a few more darker thoughts. So what you feel in your body influences your heart, and vice versa, and that's what we train. We train to see the relationship between the two.
1: Okay. So now let's talk about what type of interventions do you use for healthy relational attachment?
2: Yes. So there's um, a a number there. You know, I was I was trained by Irvin Yalom, who's Mm -hmm. actually American. Right. In in Palo Alto, and. um, Yes, he, he's, uh, he, he's done really incredible work. And, um,
1: he's I'd done group work. The I want our, yeah. mm-hmm. Go ahead. Group work.
2: Yeah, I've, I've learned mostly most of my group work with him. I started group work in the humanitarian sector because there's such little funds that I was just not able to do one-to-one work, and that's where I started to do group. Um, and then I brought that back into clinical practice in the West and then started training uh, people in uh, in group processes and what we call today resiliency circles. Instead of calling group therapy, we call them resiliency circles because, uh, in a way, that it's an nice. intimate place where you can, you can learn to be more yourself with others.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And no. in terms of regulating these attachment patterns, um, you know, I would say there's one thing which feels absolutely essential is learning to be vulnerable learning to connect to our vulnerability. So, you know, when I was working with Irvin Yalom, um, one of the things that he would often do in our supervision was to transparently share the things that he's feeling as I'm describing some of the work that I'm doing with my groups or my teams or in different humanitarian emergencies I I was in the middle of. And the fact that he would just share in an honest, transparent, spontaneous way you know, that really brought me closer to him. It made me trust him more because I felt like he was deeply human. I mean, aside from being this like mountainous, incredibly wise, and <laughs> among the most experienced people in the world for group work, he was also deeply emotionally human. And that really felt like I could trust him more. I could, I could, I could, uh, I could really relate to him more. And so when we talk about social regulation, what we're talking about is really... How can we learn to, in a way, be ourselves in a way that feels safe with others? Um, Okay, so
1: let let me take you to, hang on, pause for a minute, because we talked about something that I want to mention that might be related to this. You believed, and you did some research on it, I'm thinking of couples for a minute. And when you say couple, taking risks of being ourselves, you believed, and I wanted you to share this, that compassion training for couples could really improve their relational attachment. Is that correct?
0: Yes.
1: Okay. Yes. Why did you think that? And what did you mean by compassion training for couples? What would so be an compassion example? Compassion
2: is about so con- compassion is about connecting to our experience with a sense of wanting to heal, support, or help. Right? So there's two mm-hmm. parts. One is to sense the difficult experience. Even if in the case of a couple, it's like we see that um, maybe our partner, our wife, our husband are experiencing some pain and we have a, a, an intention to want to sue them or support them. Now, you know, we in in a couple relationship, we we might often feel that. Now, the key point is how does compassion help to reduce conflicts? Right. Because uh, conflicts are are, are are very challenging. And when your partner is, when you're in a conflict with your partner, for most of us, I mean, I don't know for you, for you, Suzanne, but I know for in my relationship with my wife, for example, my first impulse when I'm in a conflict with her is not to feel compassion for the pain that she feels. Right. <laughs> um it's more like yes. being defensive or being tense or you know, all sorts of other um difficult emotions which are generally gonna make things worse. So compassion helps. Um it can help by actually first connecting to my own pain. So let's say, you know, a typical scene, um I'm washing the dishes and um turns out that I, I, I'm not a small thing, you know, I, I, I'm not cleaning the, the plate in the way in which uh, the, I,
1: uh, I'm, I'm taking
2: away all the stains. And as I'm, as I'm being criticized, then I become defensive. But if I, can, if I can feel the pain of doing something wrong in a way or doing something not so well, I can have compassion for myself. And then I can connect to my wife's intention, which is actually really just to clean the plate as neatly as possible. Which is it's just a wholesome one. I mean, I want to, you know, it's a hygiene factor. Like <laughs> yes. we want to eat on a clean plates. Yes. So connecting to my experience and holding my pain of like feeling criticized can then be more receptive and be more open hearted to uh, her intention, which then stops what uh, John Gottman at the University of Washington calls negative affect reciprocity. Which is that if I felt defensive, you know, because I was criticized, then I'm going to, maybe I'll shout Or maybe I'll just throw the plate and say, well, you know what, Uh, I'm not going to wash this plate, or whatever it is. Um, So it breaks the cycle. It breaks the cycle. Connecting to my pain actually helps to then connect to her intention. and, And that breaks the cycle of negativity.
1: Well, it fits in with just what you said before. If we can dare to be vulnerable and think, I didn't do this quite right. You're in a very different, and have compassion for yourself for, all right, I didn't do it right. You're in a very different place with her because you're in a very different place with you.
2: That's right. Exactly. And, and, I'm, and I'm allowing myself to feel like, you know, I, perhaps I don't clean this plate so well. You know, so my pride gets a hit. But actually, mm-hmm. it feels like it's strengthening and it feels more, more alive and, and, and more connected to myself and to her as well.
1: Mm, the the ability to accept self makes for better couple relationships. It's it's just a wonderful example you gave. Just in the interest of time, one of your third step in your neurosystemics is embodied community processes. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, Susan, I'm glad you asked about that because in fact, I think that's probably one of the one of the dynamics of our care training, um, which is quite unique. You know. There's, most of therapy focuses on one to one, and then there's lots of uh, group psychotherapy that uh, that that, that uh, is present and that's very helpful as well. There's a lot of scientific evidence for that. And um, in the humanitarian sector, you know, I would go in Burkina Faso, for example. You know, there would be an emergency, there'd be some militia attacks, and um, even though maybe there wouldn't necessarily be anybody that died, um, maybe one person would be kidnapped. But it's not just the person that's kidnapped that's uh, being affected. It's actually the whole community. Right. And it's not just the community of the per- where the person has given it. It's actually all of the people in the organization I was working with um, mm. was in a way traumatized because they felt maybe it could happen to me.
1: Mm. So what,
2: the, the, what happened to one person actually affected everybody in the community. Right. And so when we think about healing in this way, and we talk about building resilience and strong regulatory capacity, um, you know, we start to see how we uh, what happens to one person can actually influence the whole system from a systemic framework. One the part influences the whole, and so in community, we really um, enlarge how we think of healing and we start to consider in an embodied way because. Um, sometimes, you know, we forget about the body and actually connecting to our body when we are within our family, when we're in a group of people, like in a concert, um, you know, feeling into the quality of the overall system. Um, so right now, let's just take a concrete example. Wait, hang we're on, together. hang on.
1: I want you to come back with that example because we have to take a break and it's wonderful what you're saying. I apologize for interrupting. Ah, okay. Okay. We're going to take a brief break. You're listening to Psych Up Live with Boaz Feldman. He's just talking to us about embodied community processes. It's so important. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to psych up live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at one 866 472 That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to psych up live. Welcome back folks. We're here with Lois Feldman
1: and here's our clinical psychologist, contemplative and trauma trainer, calling in from Geneva, Switzerland. And we were just in the middle of talking about an embodied community process. And, and Boaz gave us a, a really powerful example of working with a community uh, in one of the places he's done outreach where someone might be kidnapped. And the whole notion of if it happens to one person in your group or your community or your family. It happens to everyone. Um, and I think you, will go, you were just about to give an example of how to deal with that.
2: Yes. Um, so I think what's, what can be interesting is, again, just to explore together. Um, let's think of a time when we felt like we were a part of a community. So, you know, I, I think, for example, of um, I was part of a summer camp at one point. And let's just each of us, all of our listeners, if you're willing to experiment a little bit together, how does it feel to, to reflect back just a few moments on a time when we felt belonging in a community? And noticing, as we think back, maybe a uh, pleasant experience of being in community, maybe it was a religious community, maybe it was a, a sports camp, maybe it was a sports event. Noticing how it feels in the body, in the mind, to have been part of something wider. Being part of a, of a larger human collective experience. Okay, so you see, one of the things that we do, Suzanne, and it might have happened for you or for your listeners in this moment, is when we is to be able to sense into the somatic experience of being together, because one of the powers, you know, that um, that actually um, many different religious groups have had, and and in a way in which um, psycho-spiritual traditions are able to bring resiliency and regulation um, in, a, in a in a scientific way to to different populations is to tap into that quality of belonging in the body. And so, in our care training, for example, you know we have let's say 40 or 50 participants. The fact that we would be together uh, for a certain period of time for the training, um, we really actually pay mindful attention to how it feels to be together
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and our motto in Neurosystemics you know is together we go further Um, Uh and there's a lot of research that shows actually evolutionarily we have grown and evolved to do things together and so actually when we're together we can we can integrate our body even deeper so that's mm-hmm. one thing that I'll, I'll invite us to reflect on. You know, when we're in a workplace, we work at a hospital, we work in a, in a school, or we work in an organization. Actually, how much belonging is there? And if it's, if there's even just a slight sense of belonging, really allowing that to be felt in the body, how do you feel to belong to a wider community?
1: Well, that would well be the what also, to then. yeah. what it brings to mind for me is that one of the you know, telltale signs of the suffering of traumatic events is a sense of isolation. So when you yes. join with a community, that sense of helpless isolation um, really starts to be to drop because, as you say, you build on the strength of the people with you. You feel held. You feel contained. That's, nice. yeah.
2: That's right. You know, in my humanitarian experience, um, so I, I worked, for example, in, uh, in internally displaced communities in northern in northern Myanmar uh, a number of years ago. where there's um, it's a conflict-affected region, and um, my my job was to um, heal, support reduction in anxiety, depression, and trauma. And it turns out, you know, eighty percent of the populations that I was working with could man- to develop powerful coping mechanisms. Simply by actually just feeling belonging in a in a safe and supportive community, eighty mm-hmm. percent of the population did not need specialized mental health care and you know very very powerful you know somatic regulation tools and uh, you know very specific psychiatric treatment. Most people really just needed to feel part of a wider, safer community. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know all of that part of in terms of our healing um, in in the West is really overlooked. It's pity. So we focus on that in the care training and build skills to be able to to really um, facilitate those community processes.
1: Yeah. After nine eleven here in New York, the American Group Psychotherapy Association ran thousands of groups over the years, and and mm-hmm. we found just what you're saying. People were in their church communities. People were in their neighborhood communities. People wanted to be with other firefighters if they were firefighters. And the power of the group, as you say, really drops the extreme traumatic reaction and makes for a possible a healing um, and restore, restoration that you just can't do individually.
2: That's right, that's right, that's right, that's right, yeah.
1: So, so now, just building on this, one of the things that you actually do it in your silent meditation and your silence is you, you write about the focus and the importance of nonverbal communication in groups and couples. Just tell us a little bit about what we can think about in terms of that.
2: So, evolutionarily, uh, 3.5 billion years ago, we were just physical organisms. And it's only about 500 million years ago, since the Cambrian explosion, that we started to have more visual senses, auditory senses. And it's really only since we were mammals that we started to communicate in complex ways through emotions, cognitions, and language. And so, you know, our bodies are actually evolutionarily the most powerful uh, ways in which we communicate. Because we've communicated with one another for, for millennia through our bodies. And so even though we have, you know, this wonderful language like you're speaking now with me and all our listeners are understanding, that's a very recent way in which we can actually start to understand one another. So in our group work through somatic and embodied processes, we focus a lot on actually how how can we support a better sense of social regulation through embodied and somatic processes of nonverbal communication. So I'll give you a specific example. Um, You know, I have a a group, I was just doing a group before this session, and you can see when people are smiling, and you can see when people are looking down, for example, right? And we know uh, from certain specific affect coding systems, again, from um, uh, James Barra Barra and and, um, and John Gottman, that uh, looking down and um, being reflective in a social context is sometimes, can be associated, it's not necessarily, but it can be associated as a sense of shame or exclusion. So when you're in a group of people, of colleagues, or when you're with your you know, group psychotherapy, or you're in a context, then you see somebody that's often looking down in front of them and not necessarily engaging visually, it might not be a sense of shame or exclusion, but at least, you know, you can start actually questioning how is that person engaging or disengaging the group? And how might, you know, how might you then support them to feel more included if that's the case, or at least inquire and support them? And, at the same, and on the other perspective spectrum, you know, if you have somebody that's uh, smiling or that's engaging with a lot of visual contact, that also gives you information in terms of how included and how much they're participating in, in in the group and we also want to be able to make space for all of that so that um, we can enrich the texture of the group experience um, that includes you know the happy emotions of that person so without speaking we can tell in ter- we can tell a lot in terms of how people are feeling in their bodies and in their hearts now the key thing though is you have to be careful because how we perceive other people might not be exactly how they feel, so it's always important to check. Um, but there are a number of indicators that we can learn that give us then really good information, or at least threads upon which we can explore and and, uh, and help regulate social spaces.
1: I just well, I don't know we have enough time, but one of the things Bo has talked about was that sometimes we're unaware of our own burnout. And Boaz, you you had talked about a group of attorneys who were suffering physically because of that. How would I know, whether I was a medical work, frontline medical worker, a psychologist, or an attorney, how would I know that I might not, these physical symptoms I have might actually be burnout?
2: So one, I've worked with lawyers at the Geneva Bar Association, and one of the chief lawyers in one of the biggest companies there, he got a burnout. um, He couldn't get out of bed. And what we understood over time as I was working with him is that, in fact, he was taking in the anxiety and the trauma of his clients, and he had no way of really even seeing that he was feeling that. Um, And so he was compensating for all the anxiety that they felt by overworking, spending many, many hours at work. So one thing that people can do is if they're working really hard, you know, maybe there's something about wanting to develop your career, maybe there's something about, you know, wanting to get a promotion or actually, you know, develop skills and all of that, and, uh, and those are positive qualities, but we can also start to pay attention perhaps to what's the emotional quality of how we work. Are we doing it with a sense of drive, ambition, and just pure inspiration, or are we doing it because, um, in a way, you know, we... we we have, there is some anxiety, or there's some fear, or there's some, even perhaps some, um, some avoidance of uh, wanting to work with a particular person, in the case with lawyers, for example. And then we're overworking because you know we're, we're scared or, or, or we're feeling really tense about that person's reaction or their personal situation. Um, so checking how much we work and seeing the intention behind that can be a, a good way to prevent burnout, actually, because maybe there's an emotional... An emotion
1: there um, that 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 could be important. Terrific, um, Boaz. I want to thank you for coming on the show today. What you have shared is really a gift to all of our listeners, nationally and internationally. Um, uh, Everyone you work with really is very fortunate. You bring a great deal, and I want to thank you again for the work you you did. and for coming on, how would a person find out more about you, the care training program, which is for people as well as professionals, people who want to just improve their own resilience? How would they find you, Boaz?
2: So um, we have a website, neurosystemics.org, neuro, N-E-U-R-O, and then systemics, S-Y-S-T-E-M-I-C-S.org. And on our website, you can find all the details of our care training, Compassion Awareness, Resiliency, and Empowerment, where we learn about skills to professional therapy skills or facilitation skills, one-to-one sessions, group sessions, and community processes. And we also have an Instagram account, Neurosystemics Care. We have a Facebook page, Neurosystemics Care. Care is really our main program that's registered with the United States Association for Body Psychotherapy, so you're eligible for membership with them. And um, our mission, Suzanne, is really to uh, build on our evolutionary momentum for somatic, affective, cognitive, and regulatory skills so that we can connect our neurons in skillful and regulated ways to then change society, change nations, from neurons to nations, all together.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you so much. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this in any prior show as a podcast. By 6 p.m. Eastern, this will be a podcast, and after that it will be on all the platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, etc. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please be safe, thanks, and be listening.